Section 10 of By the Marshes of Minus. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. By the Marshes of Minus by Sir Charles G.D. Roberts. Lamouche, Part 2. One evening, just two days before the embarkation, Celeste was again returning through the twilight from letting out the cows to pasture. As she drew near the cottage, a well-known form advanced to meet her. With joy and doubt and wonder, her knees so trembled that she stopped and clung to the fence. It was Jules. In an instant, he was at her side, and the sorrow and fear were forgotten. But presently, a pang tightened about her heart. Perhaps Jules had but come on his parole to bid her a last farewell. She could hardly frame the question, but Jules interrupted it with the assurance that he was really free, that Colonel Winslow had himself given him his freedom, though for what reason he could not dream. I was the only one, Celeste. He came with the interpreter and called me by name, and when I stepped forward, wondering, he told me I could go free, and that I must take the oath and be a loyal subject to King George. Gladly I took the oath, and I came right here. To Jules it was enough that he was again with Celeste, and he had not yet had time to trouble himself for an explanation of the marvel. But the girl's more nimble thought was casting about for a clue, and suddenly she remembered La Mouche, and her flushed cheek turned pale. Some cunning of his, it was, surely, that had compassed Jules' escape in order that he might get his rabbit within reach of his vengeance. Her whole being quailed at this proof of Lamouche's power. It was a face of instant despair that she raised to her lovers, as she asked, Have you seen or heard anything of Lamouche? Not noticing in the dust the change that had come over her countenance, the young fellow answered lightly, Oh, yes, I saw him not an hour ago. Intoxicated as he was with his delight, he nevertheless could not help observing that Celeste clung more heavily to him now, and it seemed to him she would have fallen if he had not held her up strongly. How glad she is to see me, he said to himself with loving pride. But Celeste whispered, glancing fearfully around, Where was he? Oh, Lamouche, Jules spoke somewhat impatiently. I saw him in the chapel. He was rude to me. In the chapel, echoed Celeste in astonishment. Yes, but what do you care about, Lamouche, said Jules. I must know. It is important. Tell me at once, dear. I'll explain by and by, cried Celeste with breathless eagerness. Such interest in Lamouche, and just at this time, appeared to Jules unseasonable. And he gave his answer with a certain sullenness, releasing Celeste from his arms as he spoke. But the girl was too much excited to heed this. He came in under guard about half an hour before I was set free, said Jules. We all crowded about him to learn how he had been captured. He looked very black and would tell us nothing, but he spoke civilly enough to everyone. I was sorry to see that he had been caught after all, and by and by when I got near enough, I stretched out my hand and tried to tell him so. But the impudent dog just eyed me as if I was so much dirt, and then turned his back on me with a snarl. Had I not been sorry for him, I should have struck him in the face, 
though he killed me for it. And once I could have loved him and bowed down to him, because he has done great things and loves our people. And then what happened, persisted Celeste. Nothing, said Jules. Oh, yes, he continued. There was one thing rather queer, I thought. After a few minutes, he looked at me again, and this time with a sort of sudden fierceness. Then he strode to the door and began talking to the guards as if he owned the whole place and was going right out when he wanted to. I couldn't hear what he was saying, and the guards didn't seem to understand him. But some way, they were more polite to him than they ever were to any of the rest of us. While he was talking to them, along came Colonel Winslow, and the first thing I knew, I was free and out on the hills and running to my Celeste. While he was speaking, the truth had flashed in upon the girl's mind. She saw the whole great-heartedness of Lamouche, the splendor of self-sacrifice, which had been veiled behind his threats, and a flood of passionate pity swept over her for the man whom she had spurned and so harshly wronged in her judgment. At the same time, the cold autumn gloom seemed to grow bright about her, so black a cloud of fear was rolled from her heart. Jules was safe. No cunning and resistless sword was awaiting his throat. In her love for Jules, there was something of a mother's protecting indulgence, and it never occurred to her to love him the less for his plain inferiority to his rival. Lamouche was a hero, brave, strong, famous, faithful, and of a superb devotion, for which she felt that she and Jules must always worship him. But as for Jules, he needed none of these qualities. It was enough that he should be himself. Heedless of his slightly aggrieved air, she reached her arms again about his neck and cried, Jules, it was Lamouche who set you free, because I told him I loved you. He has given himself up to the English in exchange for you. Mon dieu, muttered the lad, and just now I called him a dog. I called him a dog. Celeste, Celeste, he went on, in the bitterness of self-abasement. How can you love me when you have known Lamouche? No, no, I am not worth it. I will go back. He undid the girl's arms firmly and turned to go, but she was otherwise minded. Before he had gone far, she had brought him back again. A little later, the two sat hand in hand before the white hearth of Pierre Millard's kitchen, and Lamouche in his captivity was far from their happy thoughts. After the last ship had sailed and Grand Prix Village had been laid in ashes and the storms of winter had lashed the naked ruins, and spring had brought back the drift of blossom to the lonely apple trees. A farm was granted to Jules and Celeste on the Gaspero slope, beyond sight of the ruined village. And Lamouche? He had been sent away in the very ship that was to have carried Jules into exile. But Lamouche was not one whom James could long imprison. Ere the ship was well past Blomidon, he had roused the hearts of his fellow captives by whispered word and look. Down Fundy's Bay sailed the English captain without a dream of danger, till suddenly, in a thick fog, the prisoners rose as one man, and the crew were overpowered before they could make resistance. The ship was run into the rock-bound harbor of the St. John, and Lamouche led his followers ashore. Some of them went up the river to form a new settlement, 
Others went to Louisburg, and Lamouche died fighting. When came that day which he had prophesied to Celeste, when the mighty fortress of Louisburg was expunged like a wrong score, and the lions trod down the lilies in the garden of New France. End of section 10